Hey, you're listening to the Time and Talks podcast. I'm your host, Dejal V. Patel, and this is the place where we have refreshingly real talks about the biggest problems moms face in motherhood and life and the spiritual solutions to solve them. If you're ready to reset your mindset with some major truth bombs, well then, let's dive in. Hello there, my mindful mamacitas. Happy, happy Wednesday. And we're diving into a topic that I will honestly say that we haven't talked too much on this season of the Time and Talks podcast, but it's something that I really do deeply enjoy. And it is mindful parenting. It's something that I do most prominently in my coaching and work with you one-on-one with. However, I haven't talked much about it on the podcast. So to end season two with a bang, the next three podcasts are all around mindful parenting, really practical tips and techniques and practices that you can take with you as you start the summer with your kids. You're going to be spending more time with them, whether it's support with tantrums and meltdowns or children and toddlers saying no too much. or even just wanting to know how to play with them, engage with them in a mindful way, these next three podcasts are going to be for you. So starting this series is a really remarkable conversation with Mona Singal. She is a parenting coach and I had recently heard her on a live with Bullock from Chutney Life. And let me tell you guys, I have read conscious parenting books. I've taken courses. You know, Chirag and I used to own priests schools. So I was so blessed that many of the teachers that were at the schools, I become really good friends with. And let me tell you, parenting is not for the faint of heart. And we don't come with just knowing how to parent our child. Our child doesn't come with an owner's manual and we don't have it encoded within us to know exactly the right way to fix the problems and know what to say and what to do. So having support, especially when your child is a toddler or the newborn phase or even early preschool and childhood, it's so crucial to feel like you have support. And I know as moms that this is really hard. We think that as parents and moms that we should know how to parent our child and asking for help that shows a sign of weakness. And it really isn't. Needing support, especially when things are difficult with parenting, is a natural part of the process and we just have to learn to be accepting of that support because it could truly alleviate so much anxiety and stress when we have an expert that we can talk to to help us understand what's going on developmentally in our child's brain how to communicate in a way that they can understand it's like any relationship there are gonna be hiccups and sometimes it helps to have a neutral party right like in relationships and marriages we go to a therapist to help us understand a new way of communicating with each other and it's not any different for parenting it's a new skill set and having the support of someone who's an educator and can help us understand how to communicate and understand our children is such a life-changing thing and I just wanted to get on my soapbox I'm for a moment just to kind of help you guys because a lot of times you guys say like how are you so confident as a parent and how are you so calm and a lot of it it's not a hundred percent it's like I ask for help I look and research for help but sometimes you just need somebody in your corner and I've always had someone in my corner and if you're searching for someone to have in your corner this is the podcast that you're going to want to listen to so I invite Mona Singal who is the founder of Spark Wonder She's a parenting coach, like I said, and she completed her master's in early childhood education from Columbia University Teachers College. She went on to complete an advanced certification in special education from Fordham, and she began her career as a preschool teacher and taught all over schools in New York City. She became an educational director and preschool program director where she developed curriculum and trained teachers on the importance of play and parent partnerships. She's also a certified yoga instructor, which I love because she integrates mindful practices in all aspects of education. She believes in personal reflection and physical practice and meditation to spark wonder in her own life. Mona truly adores children and has made it her life goal to support families to help nurture young children. She believes if parents and children are able to have their needs met and feel supported, 
there will simply be more room for joy and wonder in the world. So listen into this conversation. We're going to talk about how to create engaging sensory and educational playrooms in your home. If you're struggling with screen time, when it's over, the tantrums begin. We're going to talk about the less stressful way to transition from screen time to no screen time, engaging and connecting ways to play with our kids. And we're really going to focus on breaking the stigma of how it's absolutely okay to ask for help when it comes to parenting. You do not have to have it all figured out and you do not always have to have all the answers. It's okay to ask for help. And we're going to dive deep into that. So be sure to to listen to the very end Mona was so so generous she offers all the listeners from the time and talks podcast a free consult with her if you're struggling with an area that toddlers saying no or bedtime routines or an engaging and inviting playroom where they're also learning and it's stimulating their mind and their emotions she can help in such a wide variety of areas but you have to listen to the end so you know the right discount code to ask for if you're going to receive that free console. So without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with Mona. I know it's going to nourish your soul and give you so much wisdom as you move forward in your parenting journey. Mona, I'm so excited for you to be here. When I heard you speak on Bullocks Live, I was like, I have to have her on my podcast, so I'm so glad that we're able to connect and you can share your wisdom with all the Time and Talks mamas who listen in. Thank you for having me, Dejal. This is amazing. I'm very excited to kind of connect and, and share a little bit of what I know. Yeah. Well, you know a lot. Let's just put it that way. I was blown away by that live. And I had told you, I've done parenting courses. I know a lot myself, but the way that you make it very tangible, I think that sets you apart because theory is great. Like we are a demographic of moms who want a new paradigm of parenting. And we have we're accustomed to knowing like, okay, we want to be more positive. We want to be more engaging. We want to be more playful, but you give us the how to's. And that's what I really, really enjoyed and respected about your viewpoint. So I'm really excited to go through um, some of the questions that are actually a lot of the common questions. I put a question box on Instagram. You guys might've seen it. And I had so many questions. So I picked the top three that were Really, I think top of mind and also with the pandemic and having kids home for such a long duration of time, I think this is a common theme. Um, So I think that we have a really great variety of different questions that you parents had (laughs) that we're going to answer. But I wanted to start off really just with the basics because many parents don't know what a parenting educator or what an early uh, childhood development educator can really help support a parent. So I would love to start off, what is it that you do and what age groups do you help parents work with and support? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because it's not a really common profession. So I'm happy to kind of explain what I really do and what sets me apart a little bit. So in my work in preschool world a number of years ago, one of my main takeaways was that working with kids, you're working with families. You can't separate a two-year-old and try to figure out what happened the night before from their information. It's a really collaborative effort. So what I do now is I try to get to know families, get to know their lifestyles, what are their goals for their days or even for, you know, overall for their children and help them get there. So whether it's, you know, speech concerns or feeding or just routines are a mess, just kind of getting through the day to day so that they can really enjoy parenting. Um, A little bit of what I do is kind of have brief conversations to try to get to know what the challenges are and then dig a little bit deeper and get to know what the family values are and what the family lifestyle is. Because what's going to work for like, you know, a doctor in a COVID ER right now versus, you know, a stay-at-home mom is very different. So it's really important to me to kind of get to know what each family is capable of doing and what their bandwidth is. And like you said, giving them tangible things that they can implement as soon as they get off the phone with me. Yeah. And what age range do you typically work with? Yeah, so age range, I start with nine months and usually around the five-year mark. So there's a little flexibility. Um, the reason I start with nine months is because usually everything before that is survival mode. You're in yes. feeding and sleeping and all of that changes too quickly that you're not really able to kind of get into that reflective mindset uh, just yet. 
And then usually at the nine month mark, we can kind of start and, you know, really set the foundation up. Um, up to five years is because my certification is really just the early childhood sector. And that's kind mm-hmm. of my expertise. Um, after five or six, I feel like they're little teenagers. Sometimes. Yes, it changes. I have a yeah. almost six year old, he's going to be six in a couple of weeks. And you really do see that shift of like now, like the five year old, you know, the five year old mindset now six year old, it's like you're going through a different phase out the way that he understands the way that communicate with him. So yeah, Absolutely. that's a really, really good niche. And personally, that's kind of like my niche too. I like to work with the younger, not as young as you, but work with younger kids um, with like the mindfulness and the meditation, because there is there's a different age development and um, how you communicate with your kids. It's like learning a new language, I feel like at times, Absolutely. right? And we haven't been taught it. Let's just be honest, um, especially for many of us South Asians, we have definitely not been modeled um, how to be patient, how to engage and how to understand what's going on with them behaviorally, but also like to stimulate them um, emotionally and educationally. So yeah, that's amazing that you do this type of work and that there's support out there because I think as parents, right? You, you have children and they do not come with an owner's manual. And like you said, the first, you know, the first um, eight to nine months, is like, you're in survival mode. You're just trying to keep this child alive and just trying to make it through the day. And then at a certain point, you kind of find your groove a little bit and you're right. It's around like the nine, 10, 11 month mark. And now they're starting to show more personality. They're not sleeping so much. And now you can engage with them. And so I really um, love that you provide support for parents. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned when we were talking about having this interview, and it really stuck with me that I thought I was really curious. And you said that a lot of times parents don't actually even know how to play with their kids. So can you explain a little bit about playing with our kids? I know it sounds so simple, but you have a really great idea behind it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, kind of tying into what you said about how we were raised, right? Our parents did it very differently. Playing to them was kind of, you go do something while I'm cleaning, cooking and managing the household. But now we kind of see that there's so much more importance in play. And especially for the young ones, they really learn about the world through play. You'll see them reenact things that happen during the day while they're playing with their stuffed animals or their dolls or in the kitchen, um, which is why it's really important to have the right things for them to play with. A lot of math skills, reading skills, um, social you know, problems and problem solving all happens naturally through play. And if we're not offering them the right toys or the right kind of environment to do it in, it's a disservice on our part. Um, one of the big things I say to parents always now that they kind of take a step back, which is something really easy is, you know, sit for 15 to 20 minutes, no phones and no cleaning when you're in the playroom. And that's like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do we do? Yes. You're almost learning to play with them, right? So just go and pick up a toy, start building, start putting something together and see what happens. Let your child lead that moment or you teach them a new skill in that moment, but let it just happen naturally and kind of be in the moment with them and see what happens. Often when you're doing this, sometimes with a little bit of the older kids, if you're, if you have like the three to five year old, they'll start talking in those moments. You'll get some more insights of what's happening. So yes, it's about the skills. It's about, you know, kind of giving them the foundation by having the right, the right right things there but it's also about bonding with them and making sure that you are part of their world right play is their world and now you have to step into it as a parent um, and I think that's kind of one of the biggest differences is because we grew up thinking play was something to do to keep busy but it's so much more than that yeah that's such a big big thing to highlight because um when my when my oldest was younger, we implemented, and it's easier when you have one. When you have two, you got to juggle a little bit more. And now we're going to have three, so we have to juggle it. But we we implemented this 10 minute of like undivided, like mommy and me time and daddy and me time, which means exactly what you said, putting the cell phones away. For me, the hardest part was not to clean up while we were playing, like let the yep. mess happen and just like enter their world. So you let them guide you. And so when you're saying this, this has changed and shifted the way that we connect because now at six, he recognizes that, okay, like I want this time where it's not necessarily always play. Maybe it's just like talking like mommy, I want to like lay in bed with you and talk. So it's a, it's a fabulous foundation. And I'm so glad that you bring that up because I think 
as parents, like we're just constantly doing and we're in like parent mode and being responsible and keeping them alive that we forget that for a little portion of our day, we have to enter their world. And so I love that you explain it like that. And you highlight that because I think many of us really do need that check in understanding yeah. how to play and be at their level. Um, and that that comes to the next point too, right? Like we talked a little bit about you know, this is not innate to us because this wasn't modeled to us. Would you say that as far as when you're working with parents, especially if they're South Asians, when there's a a hiccup or like a roadblock, say one parent wants to implement something and try something new and the other parent is not necessarily on board, or there could be um, other generations like grandparents or, you know, just different way of parenting. How do we meld that together when there's different generations and different opinions about parenting and trying to step in and try something new? I love that question. Um, There's so much that goes into a family, right? It's not just always the parents or the grandparents even. Sometimes it's even bigger. There's aunts and uncles, there's cousins, there's nannies, there's caregivers. It really takes a village. And I think what happens often in these dynamics where, you know, there might be one parent that sometimes is the primary caregiver that realizes, like, maybe my child needs some support in this. And what happens, and I think this is the biggest kind of game changer, is it becomes a power struggle between the parents or the grandparents or whoever's involved. It becomes, this is what I want and you're doing it wrong. And Mm -hmm. one of the biggest ways to kind of overcome that is to really approach it from a unified standpoint. So one of the things that I always suggest is kind of have a conversation to say, I'm noticing, you know, they're not eating so well anymore. Can we try something together? How about, you know, we eliminate snacks at this time, but what do you think is a better idea? If we approach it from a conversational standpoint versus a, I want my child to do this and I think you're doing it wrong. You're going to get into this, you know, battle between, and it affects the relationship then, right? You don't want to have this tension with your spouse or with in-laws or parents or whoever it is. But what I often do sometimes is say, if I'm doing a session with a family, let's bring the grandparents in, Um, you know, especially with South Asian families. Fortunately enough, I can speak Hindi that I sometimes do these sessions with everyone. And so everyone can understand, even if there is a language barrier, um, So I think, you know, just taking this kind of community aspect of it and Mm -hmm. let's do it together versus I'm saying this is how it should be done and you need to do it is a big, big game changer. Um, And I think that's really kind of one of the things because you'll hear from parents often or grandparents, um, I should say, that, you know, it's this approach of, but we raised you and you turned out fine. Right, right. And, you know, you kind of want to pull your hair out at that point and say, you know, what, let's approach it from a different standpoint. Like you did something for me, given your circumstances, and I turned out fine, but my kids can turn out even better than that. So let's do that together um, and kind of get their their standpoint. And the other thing is grandparents sometimes have a little bit of like rose-colored glasses on, right? Because it's been 20 or 30 years before yes. since they've done that, that they don't remember the day-to-day you know, tantrums and struggles and, and tears. So kind of bring that back in, in a more community way, I think is really helpful. Yeah, I like that approach very much. And also the same thing is that, you know, the times that we were raised in was different than the times that Absolutely. our children are being raised. So obviously, we have to evolve and um, shift. But I think one of the biggest things that I want to highlight that we had talked about that I really uh, value that your approach is, is that many parents feel like they should know how to raise their kids. And that it's like, like we said, they don't come with an owner's manual. And especially once they get to that toddler age and they're saying no, and they're being defiant and finding their own voice. Up until a certain point, you can control them, right? You control when they go to sleep and what they eat. And then they start having their, asserting their independence. This is the start of that whole process that never really ends. And so for a parent that comes to you, I could feel like many parents would either feel maybe embarrassed or they feel like they can't ask for help because it makes them a bad parent that they can't figure this out. I'm sure you probably get a lot of that. What kind of advice do you have for that parent that may be struggling, that needs support, but is either too afraid or embarrassed to ask for that support? Yeah, I love that you bring that up because I think I see that a lot, especially in the South Asian community. We feel like we need to kind of 
manage the house and manage our children, manage life. And we drown while we're doing it. Right. Um, So I think my biggest advice is it sounds very simple that there's no shame in asking for help. But the bigger part of that is you are a better parent for reaching out. Kids don't come with an instruction manual. So what is the harm in kind of seeking somebody out that may ease your anxieties and help you sleep better at night? Right. So I think, you know, the biggest part is really just coming, overcoming that internal struggle of, you know, am I a bad parent for doing this? Am I not doing something right? And the truth is we all need help, whether it's self-care or whether it's house management or raising children, you know, we all have different strengths. And if you are questioning even a little bit of, am I doing this right? What could I be doing differently? Just have a conversation. And, and most of the time, what I've seen with the families that I work with even just that initial conversation of like, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes, there's a huge relief that comes from like, I've gotten this off of my chest and I can just breathe a little bit easier. Um, So there is a lot of benefits in, in speaking about it and just kind of, you know, like I said, getting it off of your chest, but there is real support out there. This isn't just like auntie advice of like, oh, I did this and this is how my kid turned out. It's really based in kind of what you said about, you know, it's based in theory and it's really practical stuff that can happen. Mm -hmm. So you're not changing your entire life to make it easier. You're actually just doing really small things and that makes a huge difference in the long run. Yeah, that's, that's so important. And like you said, in any area of your life, if we feel like as a mother that we are, we need support and help. I know that's like a big hurdle that we have to go through, but we feel so much better on the, when you think about it on the opposite side, when you feel yeah. supported, it's such a good feeling because like you said, just having that weight lifted, I feel like the anxiety starts to subside. Be like, okay, I have someone in my corner that can guide me. Sometimes we just want someone to be like, okay, try step one, two, and three. Okay, yeah. I'm going to listen to your your instructions, like telling us what to do rather than us having to figure it out, right? Absolutely. And that's really how you support. And um, one of the, Sorry, one of the biggest things I think in this, which I forgot to mention earlier, is, you know, as a parent, when you are feeling this kind of, I'm drowning a little bit, or I need a little bit of support, what the biggest thing to know is your kids feel it too. So the disservice of not asking for help isn't just you at this point, it's also impacting the emotional health of your children, right? Because as as you probably know, as parents, you maybe some days wake up and you're tired or you're sick and you you notice a shift in your child's energy and if you're constantly operating on this like high functioning anxiety where you're getting through the day or you know whatever the emotional component is and however it looks for you if you're kind of just getting through the day and trying to suppress however you're feeling that does come out in their interactions whether it's obvious or kind of underlying it it is palpable Yes, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to go through some of the questions that parents had submitted for you that I think a lot of parents can relate to. And one of the biggest things is that because of COVID, a lot of parents who might have sent their kids to a preschool decided to keep them home. And, you know, a lot of them we're worried that, oh my gosh, is this going to help, you know, is it hold them back developmentally because they're not in that uh, school environment where they're socializing. And a lot of them also realize that their play area isn't really serving them. So you do something called home space sessions where you help uh, parents reevaluate what they have in their play areas. So it's not just for play, but you're kind of creating a school type of setting. What are like common things that are missing in playrooms that should be incorporated to create that home space where it's play, but also a learning environment? Yeah, I love that question. Um, One of the biggest areas that is kind of missing, I would say, in a lot of home spaces or play spaces is some sort of art or sensory area. So often when I say that, I immediately see eyebrows raised of like, oh, it's going to get messy or, you know, we can't have the home be messy, but there's ways to do it that aren't so, you know, Jackson Pollock-like, where it's going to be, you know, much more manageable and they're still getting the same experiences that they would had they been going to school and, you know, doing some of these things. And the reason that I think that art and sensory is so important is because children learn through their senses. So you'll Mm -hmm. see with the young ones, they often take things and the first thing they do is they put it in their mouth, right? As they get older, they, they evolve a bit, but they still need to touch. 
Um, and when they're touching these different textures, when they're playing with paint, when they're getting a little bit messy, that's directly correlated to feeding. So if they have these experiences where they are kind of exploring these different textures that may show up in food later, but they're doing it through play, you will see a big difference in how they approach mealtimes and new foods. There, there becomes less aversion, less kind mm -hmm. of scariness. And sometimes as parents, we kind of go into this mindset of you can't play with your food. You need to stay clean while you're doing it. But yes. allowing this to kind of be, you know, two sides of the coin where it can be a little bit messy. They're still getting these same experiences through play. And then you kind of see it come out in feeding over time is one of the biggest things that I'm like, if there's anything you take away from me, do more art, have it kind of present, let yeah. them explore even independently. And there's, there's definitely ways we can do it to make it less messy. Um, and that just takes, you know, a little bit of, you know, time and conversation and kind of a commitment on the parents end to say like, okay, I got this, I can do it. And yeah. I will walk you through each step and um, kind of talk you through what step one, step two is, but that's definitely a hundred percent. One of the biggest areas that's missing is um, that art and sensory area. The other yeah. thing that I see kind of very commonly done of, of no fault of anyone, but maybe, you know, toy makers and marketers is that when you search for toys, regardless of the age, I find them to be grossly inappropriate. It's things that are not um, just age appropriate. They're not getting anything out of it. And I wish there was something I could do on kind of a bigger level, um, you know, to like reach out to some of these online websites and, and restructure them. But Aside from that, you know, the stuff that is marketed or available for even this toddler age tends to be things that they don't really develop their skills on. It's a lot of stuff that you press buttons and things light up, which is good for a certain age for the young ones. But as they get older, they're still kind of implementing the same things. And when what we want to see is kind of more open-ended toys that can be more than one thing in play, that can, mm -hmm. you know, be part of the kitchen or be part of building or be part of anything that they're doing, not just kind of restricted to one uh, type of play. So is that probably why we see more of like the wood toys trying to like making like an emergence because you're using more of your creativity while you're playing it? Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, you're, you're very mindful in this space. So you kind of know that that's a trend, but for a lot of families that are doing this or maybe don't have that background, they're relying on, you know, search engines and what are the first things that come up. And often yeah. those are not the first things that are coming up. But yeah. absolutely, yes, the wooden toys are coming back. They, you know, parents are kind of shifting and realizing that we're buying a lot more things and they're not really working or we feel like we're buying more. Whereas some of these open-ended toys like the wooden toys can grow with the kids and extend their yeah. life a little bit. When you talked about the sensory thing, that's like totally mom, first time mom with my older one. I was like, no, don't get too dirty. Like I was like, you know, I did that whole thing. And exactly what you said, he's at that age where he's like, I don't really like food, like ketchup on my fingers. He wants to wipe it off. And you had given me a suggestion, like let him like have the feeling on his sensation, like do one or two things, like have it before he wipes it off. And I've been doing that and be like, Hey bud, it's okay. Like I wait to give him, get him the napkin or like yes. do it. And now he's starting to like lick his fingers or like not, you know, like not get like so grossed up before he'd be like, Ew, there's food on my fingers. Amazing. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've been totally doing that. And my my second son, because now I'm a second time mom, I'm like, oh, and he's really into the painting and all that stuff. I see that he does not get affected when there's food on his, like, you know, like if there's like it's messy or anything. So what you're saying is exactly on point. But there's one thing that you said in your live that I, because the sand is always like, oh my gosh, I don't want sand in the house. But you had an alternative for sand. And I'd love for you to share. Um, yes. I don't know if you remember from the live, but I was like, oh my gosh. And I did that. And I like that so much. Better. Yes. So blended Cheerios, just a box of dry Cheerios, put them in a blender or food processor and use that. It's much easier to clean up. You're not worried yes. if they eat it. It's yes. kind of that secret to have yeah for yeah Super I, love easy. That. I love that and I was like and my younger one because I did that and he's like he loves it and then my older one was like oh this is so cool and you know it was a really good I love that hack 
So yeah. if you're like a clean freak, but you're also, yeah, like the sand, it's a cool texture, but you don't want them to put it in their mouth and stuff. So I love that. And Another much cheaper. Yes, and much cheaper. Exactly. Exactly. So another area that parents talked a lot about, obviously, is screen time. And that has, you know, just naturally um, increased because kids are home. You know, parents need to get things done. So, you know, um, the problem tends to be is that, yes, you give your, it's not that you give the screen time. It's just that the transition after when you're trying to take away the screen, um, it could lead to meltdowns, tantrums. So how do we transition from screen time to make, how to make that less stressful? Like when you give them a screen and then try to take it away and move on to the next activity. Yeah. So one of the parallels that I draw is consider us as adults when we're watching Netflix, how easy is it for us to binge watch, right? We go from one episode, one more, one more, one more, before you know it, it's like 3am and we're up watching some crazy show. Kids are the same way, right? That's the way these streaming networks are kind of programmed is to keep you watching longer. One of the best things that I suggest, especially for the kids profiles, is to change the settings on these streaming services. Change it so that it doesn't automatically play the next episode. It doesn't automatically keep going from one to the other to the other. Um, that helps with transitions to begin with. Because when you're saying you can watch one episode and the episode ends and they aren't getting looped in and you have that 15 seconds to go and shut it off, it becomes easier to separate. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. number one. Number two, I think what helps with this, um, I'm a big fan of timers, right? And not just mm -hmm. to transition in and out of things, but also using them for fun things because it keeps yeah. that silliness or the, you know, needing to move from one thing to another very tangible where kids hear a sound, they know something's happening, get them involved in it, have them start the timer, have them end the timer. Um, you can use your phones, they're on all iPhones or, or even, you know, any phones have them. Um, so that's really helpful. And then just, you know, being very consistent with what you're saying. So if you're saying one, one episode, and then you have five minutes after, follow those five minutes. Don't let the five minutes be eight minutes or 10 minutes or two minutes. And that's what we kind of do. We get caught up with something and we want the transitions to happen a lot faster, but we need to give them those grace periods of, okay, he here's a few minutes to get out of it. What do you want to do in these five minutes? And my suggestion is to be really successful in those transition times. Don't start a full episode. If you're doing a song, great. There's a song that's happening and that fits in that into that timeline. Um, really just try to make it successful for them and be understanding that, yes, they are getting caught up into this binge culture and so are we. So we can't have different expectations for kids than we do for ourselves. We want them to be snapped, come out of it. Um, and it doesn't work that way. They get right. too engrossed. Um, one of the things that I also suggest is better is to use televisions instead of iPads, right? The iPads, mm -hmm. they're physical. You're holding on to them. It's, then it becomes mm -hmm. a physical struggle, whereas the TV is mm -hmm. a little bit further. And what happens with the TV is for some kids, yes, they will still be as engrossed as they are with an iPad. For other kids, there's things that are happening around that breaks the, the concentration, which yes. is what you want. You don't want them to get so super fixed in it. Yes. So, so do things around them. Start playing something around them when it's closer time to transition out of it and make it really successful. The iPads, I think, become kind of a double struggle where it's you're ending yeah. a show you're transitioning out and you're physically removing a piece that they want so try to eliminate that and create those distractions around the tv time so when it's time to end you're already have something that you're going and you're starting to build with or you're starting to paint with and that becomes interesting so you're you're decreasing that struggle that's happening in that moment yeah, you know, I never even thought about that. But that is so true. When you said like, it's like my younger one, if the TV is on, it's very easy, like after 1520, he'll just get up and start playing. He's not like really watching it. But if you're right, if it's a phone or an iPad, it's just like, because you're holding it and you have control yeah. over it. It's just also probably that aspect of having control. Um, that's a really good point. And I love, especially with the timers, just wanted to go back because timers... Sure. For sure, like how you said, like, if you create the association that it's only for negative things, they're not going to really, they're not going to love the timer going off. But like you said, like, 
you know, make it also fun. Like, okay, like for the next two minutes, we're going to do a dance party. Like you put a timer on for different things. So they get associated with the timer, not only just being for something negative. And I remember you saying that in the live. And I really liked that because I was like, yeah, that's true. Because you don't want to be like, oh, that sound, you know, it's taking something away from me rather than, you know, um, embracing the timer. So I really liked that a lot. And also the point too, I had read this somewhere. That And I can't remember, but a, but a doctor had talked about it. It's like, you know, especially with young kids, like they can't just move from like screen time to then something else. Like their brain needs time, like a detox time based on their age to like come out of it and then be able to focus on the next activity. I know you're big on giving choices and things like that. And I think that also really, if we do it strategically, I find that that works. Like you can use that as a technique to help them move them to the next thing. So can you talk a little bit about the importance of choices and how to do that appropriately? Yes. So choice is huge. And I I often say to families to try to do 10 to 15 choices in the morning another 10 to 15 if they're home in the afternoon, or another 10 to 15 at night. So you're giving yourself these milestones to reach throughout the day. So collectively, that becomes, you know, 30 to 50 choices that you're giving them a day. And the reason that's important is because you think about being a toddler, they're often told, or just a young child in general, they're often being told, you can't do that, we need to do this, we, this isn't a choice, this is what we have to do, right? There's a lot of instruction. So think about it from a perspective, if we were in a workspace or anywhere and someone is constantly telling us what we can and cannot do, you get to a point of like absolute frustration, right? Yes. And that's what we often see with toddlers is, oh, like they just had a really big tantrum or a meltdown over the smallest thing. And it's not just the smallest thing sometimes. It's this building of feeling like they don't have control in their life. And they're at a point in developmentally where everything needs to be about them. So mentally, they need to know that everything is about them and their actions around them are not equating to that. So it becomes this massive explosive Mm -hmm. times that you see three, four times a day sometimes. Um, And with choices, what happens is they begin to feel like they have more control, even if the outcome is the same. So if the outcome is we need to put a shirt on and you have a choice of the red shirt or the blue shirt, they feel like they had some say in their day. Um, yes. And I think that's really important also in when you're giving choices that you are okay with the choices that you're giving them. Do not give them choices hoping that they're going to pick the other one because that never works. They're going to pick the one that you don't want. So be okay with both of the choices. And I often say limit it to two. Um, and the more you do this, the more natural it becomes for you, the more they feel like they have control over their life. And you'll see tantrums become less. You'll see this frustration become more kind of manageable on their end. Um, and you'll see kind of more collaboration. So you don't feel like your days are being this like uphill battle. But the key is to be super consistent with it well before you see the reaction. So it needs to start mm-hmm. first thing in the morning. Are you getting out of the bed? Do you want to walk or do you want to crawl? Are you brushing your teeth? Do you want to put the toothpaste on or should I? Do you want to turn the water on? Should I? Like you're building it into this kind of routine so much so that you start doing it with your spouse without realizing. Do you, <laughs> want, <laughs> do you want your coffee now or should I put it or later? You know, like, you're, this should just be the language that is coming up. And I've done it. Like I just speak to people this way now sometimes and I catch myself of like, okay, they're grown ups. We can have open-ended <laughs> questions. Um, and the other point of that too is also to also have some open-ended time as well. Um, You know, I always say to, you know, when it comes around mealtimes, especially that becomes frustrating. So try to have some open-ended conversation of let's meal plan together. What do you want tomorrow? What do you want this week? What is a vegetable I can bring in? So you're giving them kind of some open-ended time as well. And again, let it be successful. You need to be okay with their voice as well. Um, But just set it up for success in that way. Yes, that's so helpful. And many of us, a lot of our stress as moms is because we're type A, we're trying to control everything. So 
let's give ourselves a little bit of a break and let them make some of the choices, like you said, but like choices that we're okay with them making. And um, it really is truly a game changer. And you're right. Um, I I think it's that pattern of talking to your kids. Like even with my six-year-old, I do the same thing. And it feels like he feels autonomous and he's very verbal. So when I'm not doing that, he's like, mommy, it feels like you're trying to control me or you're trying to boss me around. I'm like, oh, that means that I'm making too many decisions for him. And I need to, you know, start giving, letting go of the rain. So yeah, it's like, not just like a young children. It's like, as they get older too, that's how they're going to feel um, autonomous and independent that we trust them to make their own choices about things as they get bigger and more important. Um, so yeah, I love that suggestion. A lot of moms had the, you know, when toddlers start finding their voice and it's like, my child is saying no so much, or they're not listening. And I wonder if that plays in a little bit, but I love your advice on that, how to communicate in a way that they'll understand and how to deal with the constant no's. Yeah, absolutely. So the choices do help with the no's, right? Because when you're saying, do you want this or that, you're limiting kind of the options. Sometimes you will still get the no, but generally it helps a bit. So when I'm hearing a lot of families saying they're not listening or there's a lot of no's, it's because their time is too structured. Um, so if you're getting a lot of resistance, you know, often it's around cleanup time that, you know, my, my child's not listening and they're saying no. So cleanup then needs to be something that is restructured to be positive. Um, you know, make it a game to say, okay, find all of the red things and put it away. Find all of the square things and put it away. Who can do it the fastest? Let's put a timer on and see if we can do it before. Um, what happens often is depending on what the situation is, kids find it difficult to step in and take the initiative to do it. So going back to cleanup is, you know, we often as adults will say, okay, it's time to clean up and everything has been dumped out in their playroom. All of the toys are all over the place. And as a two, three, four, five-year-old, they're sitting and looking and they, they don't know where to begin. It becomes mm -hmm. too overwhelming. So we need to take a step back and say, okay, let's clean up the Lego first and we can do it together. Um, so that helps with that too. And in terms of kind of getting through, let's say it's more of a routine challenge, what's helpful is to kind of lay it out step by step and just stay consistent to say, you know, I like to use visuals a lot for these for this age group because they, you know, they can't internalize multi steps sometimes or their brains are just not yes. capable to retain that information when they're playing or, you know, whatever the situation is. So just kind of have like a mini schedule throughout the house um, for the bathroom. What I like to do is have a picture of them brushing their teeth and then using the potty or changing their pajamas, whatever the order is, kind of stick to that. Um, and what you'll see is my child is not listening because they're trying to talk their way out of it. They know there's a loophole there somewhere yes. and they're going to keep pressing until someone gets in and or someone gets in. Sorry. What you need to do as an adult is just kind of stick by it to say, you know, after you do these three things, we're going to read a book and have that book. And if they're if they're, you know, kind of going off and saying no and not listening, you're tuning that out. And you're holding the book to say, I have this book, I'm going to hold on to it until you're ready. I'm really excited to read this. It's, you know, mm -hmm. Peggy and Daryl, there's Pinkalicious, whatever the book is kind of talked yes. up, um, and focus less on their behavior of what's happening and focus more on the result that you want or what the outcome is going to be. So what happens is if we're constantly saying, oh, you're not listening to me. I already gave you this. Now it's time to do this. You're focusing kind of again and again and again on what's not working. You need to kind of take their attention into what's going to work. And what's going to work is we're going to read this book before we go to bed. And we need to bring all of our energy into making this happen. And when you see that shift happen with kids where they realize like, oh, I'm going to miss out on something that's actually really great. You see that switch up. But the key is consistency because especially if you get to that like three, four year mark where they yeah. understand that they can talk their way out of anything, they right. will out talk you for hours if they know that there is a potential little percentage that will work, you will hear them go for hours. But once they learn that there is no compromise on this, they will give up. Um, and it's something that I say that, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but these are things that you will see a difference in, in a matter of days. So yes. often with families is like, we want that quick fix. We want it to happen today. And we tried it once and it didn't work. 
and once is never going to do it. It's, it's, that, it's things that you need to, you know, really commit to and be consistent on your end. Because, you know, that one time you give in to them saying like, okay, fine, we can skip this today. They remember that they're going to mm-hmm. keep coming back to that. So it's really mm-hmm. kind of like take that ownership to say these like next three or four days are going to be really brutal and he's going to be or she's going to be really annoyed and the tantrums may get worse. But, you know, yeah. by the end of the week, they'll learn. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, such good stuff. Um, I don't think I actually told you this, but my husband and I owned preschools for 14. Well, he owned it before that we got married. And we actually just sold all our preschools um, beginning of last year. And when you and you are so right about one thing that I realized that I didn't, it didn't click to me, especially with the routines, because this was like the next thing of like routines. Um, We say it, yes, we repeat it, maybe like every single day, the same thing over and over again. However, that's a lot for a child to remember. Like if there's five things on that list, like one, two, three, four. So they're not necessarily like purposefully trying to forget. It's just, that's a lot for their mind. So when you talked about like that list, so I did create like a morning routine and an evening routine. I laminated it with pictures that he could cross mark. I kid you not. That was such a game changer because when he was visually able to see it, he knew from like, okay, this is step one and this is step two and this is step three. And I had to talk less and he just needed a visual to see. And so I feel like for a lot of parents who they feel like they're so exhausted with the talking, creating some sort of visual, I think it could be a game changer. Yeah. And, you know, the important thing to also remember is within each of these steps. So let's say it's, you know, brush your teeth. Within brush your teeth, there's multiple steps that are happening, right? It's not just brush your teeth. So this child needs to remember, you know, turn on the water, get my toothbrush, put put the toothpaste down, wash it, you know, gargle. All these steps are things that they need to recall. So yes, the visuals do really help. And depending on what that struggle is or what age group your child is, those visuals will change a little bit, but absolutely it makes a big difference. And we need to just be patient to realize we're expecting them to perform on a level that we're not giving them the tools they need to be able to do it. Yeah. And even like I said, my six-year-old, like he has an elephant memory. He will remember like last weekend, I told him that you can watch a movie this weekend, but he cannot for the life of him remember to bring his socks down every single day. It's like, did you get your socks? Nope. I got to go back up. And so I was like, you know, he wasn't doing the laminating thing again, but the few, like the couple things that he kept forgetting, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Cause he can read now. I was like, I'm going to just make you a to-do list. Like, you know how mommy and daddy have a to-do list and he's been loving it because I write it down like the few things that he like four or five things that he like constantly tends to forget and he'll like he does it now because he has his little checklist and he's reading through it and just checking it off so even as they get older that's a great I mean we do it for ourselves right so it's it's something that um you know we don't realize but I I really really like that idea of like that visual. And like you said, like if they can't read, you have like a picture of like a little kid, like, you know, brushing their teeth. So that's going to help them understand that connection. Absolutely. Yes. This was amazing. Oh my gosh. You know, even as a parent, like I feel like I'm constantly learning and every child is different. So like what works with one child, you might have to pivot a little bit and feel like I learned so much from you each time I listen to you. And I really think that the parents will too. And um, so if you're struggling with anything, like I would love for you to just kind of give a little list of, I know you work with a lot of different um, like things that come up for kids and parents, but just kind of give them a little list of like what your big things that you support them with. So they have an idea and um, how they can find you if they want to work with you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I love that you kind of mentioned this parenting thing right now, because it just sparked something else in my mind. Um, One of the biggest things I've seen often is that families may have two very different kids and try to parent the same way. And that is something that I help with, of kind of understanding each child's strengths and weaknesses and what are things that need to be done differently, especially with two at a time. Um, some of the other things are, you know, feeding concerns, um, managing routines. If you feel like you're getting frustrated and just can't get through the day, um, initially what I my vision and mission was for this is to kind of get through this day-to-day struggle so that you can really enjoy parenting and your child then reaches the next level of like 
being curious about the world and, and really taking in the wonder that's around them. Um, so that's all of kind of what I do. I also kind of support if you just have questions, whether de they're developmental concerns or just kind of feel like, you know, that in, in your gut feeling of something feels off, maybe I'm not doing something right. There's nothing that's off limits. And if it's not something that I personally can do in my skill set, I will find a resource for you um, and help kind of connect that. Mm -hmm. In terms of finding me, um, you can check out my website. It's spark-wonder.com. Follow me on Instagram. I respond to all of my DMs. It's not a team. It's all me. Um, email as well, Mona at spark-wonder.com. Um, basically, just reach out and I will I will respond in any way that I can. And Mona was really generous. Any person who listens and you tell her Time and Talks podcast, she will give you a free consult. So please, if there's something that you're struggling with, reach out, talk to her, get the free consult because I'm sure like she'll be able to give. And what she specializes is giving concrete advice. So you're going to be able to have the plan to implement. So you're not making it up and figuring it out as you go. And like I said, like we own the preschool. So I felt like I was learning so much. If I didn't have those teachers that were also my friends to like go to, I think I would have been completely lost. I would have had to reach out to somebody else and so having that support of someone who has that wisdom of like education and that background of working with children and seeing children like so many different children that's a world of a difference than what most of us moms right we only know our child so I really think like working with someone like you is such an invaluable resource such an investment that really pays off um and the best, the best part is that you have a greater bond and relationship and connection with your child. And that's what we want. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom with us on the podcast. It was such an honor to have you on here. And I know the moms are going to love this. I know you guys are listening and you're like, this is amazing. <laughs> thank you for having me. This is amazing. I, I hope to connect with all of you guys soon. I'll be, I'll keep looking. Yes. Uh, well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Again, all of Mona's information will be in the show notes. But again, if you are struggling with something, please hit her up, get support. It's you're not a bad parent if you need that support. So have a good one, guys. Until next week. Bye. If you've been loving the Time and Talks podcast and you find value from it, I would be so eternally grateful if you take a moment of your time to leave a rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. And when you do, I love to gift you my seven-day stress detox course. All you gotta do is screenshot your review before you submit it, email it to me at thejil at thejilbpatel.com. And when you do, I'll inbox you the details of the course. This course has my go-to tools anytime I feel impatient, angry, fresh, and I come to them almost every single day. And I promise these are the tools that you're going to want to have in your back pocket too. And if you haven't purchased the Meditation for Kids book, definitely do so now. You can purchase it anywhere you buy books. Amazon, Barnes & Noble's Target, IndieBound, BAM. And you can go to meditationforkidsbook.com to get more information on the Meditation for Kids Masterclass course. If you're a complete beginner and learning how to teach meditation to your kids, this is the step-by-step -step roadmap that's going to teach you how to teach your kids meditation without having to become a certified meditation expert. Thank you so much, guys. Bye.